0: Today we're talking about David Bowie, and if you don't know who we are,
1: this is a Death by Music podcast. I am Drew, hanging out with Alex and Cassie.
0: Yes, so today we're talking about David Bowie. It's a long one, This because this guy, I mean, he just, he lived a long life with a lot of twists and turns along the way. So um, before we get started, shall we?
2: Sources.
0: Uh, Bowie Net. David Accomazzo wrote an article on the phoenixnewtimes.com. Uncommon People. Yes. Uncommon People, a book called The Rise and Fall of the Rock Stars by David Hepworth. David Bowie, A Life by Dylan Jones. NME.com had an article by Sam Moore. Uh, The Columbia Journal of Law and Arts. Was also a source expressdigest.com there was no specific author listed there bostonglobe.com an article by renee graham and then david fandom.com slash wiki slash the thin white duke um faroutmagazine.co.uk had some stuff and ultimateclassicrock.com and of course wikipedia BrianSmithMusic.com. there's a whole website dedicated to bowie's works and career so there was a ton of stuff that i used on there there's a lot, a lot of, sources.
1: of sources i know it was
0: like almost a page worth of sources we, we, we were looking at this at the end and we were like holy shit this one's long but almost the whole first page was just sources <laughs> so
2: which is fine it means we did our research we did, we did our, our research there i was, read a chapter of a book for it it's good wow i'm
0: impressed wow I read you a- read a
2: book Yes.
1: Bowie does have an insane amount of press. There's I mean, so much very, information. Very there popular, but at the same time, somehow mysterious. Everyone yeah. was so interested in him, they had to write about him because they're like, who the fuck is this guy?
0: Yeah, he's definitely weird. He's an odd character. You know, this one's a little bit different for us. We've covered so many artists that were taken unexpectedly in their prime, but yeah. this guy had a full career, a full life, though 69 is hardly old age. Uh, David Bowie died just a few years ago. It was 2016. And we're going to cover his life, legacy, and all of the controversy. But as you guys know, it's going to end in tragedy. That being said, David Bowie had a career spanning five decades. He did so many genres from funk to kraut pop.
2: I so badly wanted this to be related to sauerkraut, but it is not.
0: I mean, in the way that it's <laughs> German like techno pop. Okay. That's why they call it kraut rock, because... Yeah, I think you and I are the The only people that
2: we know that like sauerkraut.
0: I fucking love... I had some yesterday. (laughs) Anyways, um, yeah, so funk to kraut pop to rave music to folk and rock and roll. And he did them all pretty damn well. And you guys have seen how dramatic David Bowie is. In speak, song, dance, style, performance, he is a through-and-through theater kid. Hey. He (laughs) inspired decades of musicians, but he had his fair share of bumps along the way. So let's get into this long... And legendary story. Buckle your pants. Let's do Buckle it. Buckle your pants. I'm unbuckling them because we ooh. had brunch today mm-hmm. and ooh.
1: Yeah, it was good. It was
0: a lot of food. Davy Robert Jones was born January 8th, 1947, in Brixton, mm-hmm. London. To Margaret Mary, also known as Peggy. Peggy. She was an Irish ig- immigrant Igament. <laughs> she was an it's Irish new. immigrant. And uh, his father was Haywood Stenton. John Jones, a promotions officer for a kids charity. Bowie was gifted and he was pretty defiant from a young age. He wasn't really a remarkable singer, but he was able to pick up the recorder very quickly and was remembered <laughs> for his imaginative and artistic dances as in a, music and movement class. Yeah,
2: as a side note, were you for, forced to play recorder? When you were in elementary school, yeah. or like fifth grade, yeah. my mom, like I was so obnoxious with it that she'd be like, go outside. But like, <laughs> who is good at recorder? They That's so you. random. You they had to like, p- yeah, or yeah, it might not have been fifth grade. It might have been second or third grade because by fifth grade, they wanted you to do like band. So you had to like violin or whatever. Recorder. Nobody
0: ever made you do recorder.
1: I never had to play recorder. Wow.
0: Okay, that was a staple in our generation. But I was
1: always playing (laughs) snare drum or recorder. Recorder is a weird one to give kids.
2: No, it's not. There's only like six holes. What's gross about it is they were ones you like checked out from the
1: school. I think I made one before in Boy Scouts or something. You whittled
0: one. Well, whittled (laughs) one. (laughs) Whittled one. He was very gifted at recorder. That's Mm. so weird. At age nine, David's. Dad gave him a collection of records, including artists like Fats Domino, Elvis, and Little Richard. When David Bowie heard it, he said he heard God. Okay, so soon Bowie was dancing like a, quote, possessed elf to Elvis. And he was learning piano, ukulele, and tea chest bass, which is a washtub bass. Which I don't really know what that is.
1: I don't know. Is that like a one string bass? I'll look it up.
0: So his parents were incredibly supportive. They encouraged David to pursue his dreams of entertainment since he was a kid.
2: If my kid came up to me (laughs) telling me he was going to be a musician as a washtub bass player... (laughs) How do you keep a straight face in that moment?
0: Go for it, Monty. <laughs>
1: yeah, you're six. Do whatever you want.
2: Yeah. yeah. This what
1: I thought it was. It's a one string bass with like a, a wash barrel on the mm-hmm. bottom, usually a tin or aluminum barrel. And you just, you pretty much just put the tension wherever you want on the one string. Okay. So if you're familiar with a whamola, that has a handle at the top that deters the string tension. But this, good you, for him. Yeah.
0: Well, David Bowie did have a sibling. He had a half-brother named Terry, and that guy was 10 years older. Terry suffered from seizures and schizophrenia, and he split his time between living at home and in psych wards. Mm -hmm. Terry is said to have introduced Bowie to modern jazz, Buddhism, beat poetry, and the occult. Turns out Terry wasn't the only one suffering in the family. They had a line of family members on the schizophrenia spectrum, including their aunt, who got a lobotomy. So
2: they actually had three different aunts with mental health issues his aunt vivian Mm -hmm. was diagnosed with schizophrenia his aunt una died in her early 30s after extended stays in mental hospitals and his aunt nora's bad nerves were treated with a lobotomy it turns out david and terry were very close and like you said he influenced uh David Bowie's spiritual beliefs. He began studying to become a Buddhist monk in London because of it. That le- he left that path to pursue his music career. While Terry was eleven years older, he introduced Bowie to dive bars and jazz and American culture, and Bowie reciprocated by taking Terry to his first rock concert. They saw the '60s rock group Cream. Hell yeah! Isn't that cool? Nice. I thought that Hell was yeah, fun. That's great. As far as his brother uh, Terry would have these episodes that they would call attacks, which were his schizophrenia giving him these visions that pretty much scared everybody that came into contact with him. And it really scared Bowie. Each time the attacks happened, Terry would be sent to Cain Hill Asylum. And Bowie didn't visit Terry while he was incarcerated at the asylum, which caused him some guilt throughout the rest of his life. And mostly they would send him away because Bowie's father, which is Terry's stepfather, didn't want Terry in the house, which which is rude. Like, I guess when you don't know how to handle it, but... It just seemed more of like, I don't want to yeah. deal with it. And I
0: mean, I think at that time they, they thought, oh, asylums know how to handle this. Sure. But that was not also true. Definitely well, maybe not. Yeah,
1: I don't know. I could imagine it, like, if you have this dude that just breaks out in violence and thinks that there's, like, imaginary things coming after yeah, him, it was, how that might not be preferred to have He had house.
2: these apocalyptic, like, terrors that would happen. So he would basically tell Bowie, like, oh, the world's ending. We have to... We have to get out. So, because it ran in the family, the schizophrenia. Bowie had this irrational fear that he would inherit the same schizophrenic gene as his brother. Terry was eventually institutionalized and then later committed suicide by stepping in front of a train.
0: Oh shit!
2: Bowie experimented with drugs for most of his career, but he was his fear of go, going crazy pretty much kept him away from LSD because he thought it would trigger or kind of induce an early onset of the mental illness it's yeah a good i mean
0: idea. if you have schizophrenia or like any of those sorts of uh, like hallucination type things yeah you're not supposed to take hallucinogenics like yeah. it will make you that much more paranoid sure it'll make it so much worse mm-hmm. and his
2: oral biography written by author dylan jones bowie was actually quoted stating one puts itself through such psychological damage trying to avoid the threat of insanity you start to approach the very thing that you're scared of.
1: Mm. It kind of makes sense coming from that. Like as a young kid, he was kind of he was thrown into this world of like imagination from people with schizophrenia around him already creating worlds that don't exist. And it kind of lends itself to like how he created some of his concepts were very all of his albums imaginative and yeah. like like realistically imagining mm-hmm. that he's a space. Do, yeah, no, you he know? would get
0: very lost in it, but yeah. we will absolutely get so to that. That's cool. a huge part of his personality, is mm-hmm. just getting lost in these characters. Sure. So in school, Bowie started studying a variety of arts. He was doing visual art, typesetting, design, and music. He also picked up saxophone at this time. Oh, and um, you know how David Bowie has one eye that is kind of off? Yeah. Not Some true. people think that it's heterochromia, which is where one eye is a different color than the other, but no, that's not the issue, Bowie had a pupil that was permanently dilated, and this was after being punched in the eye in a fight so he was in the hospital for four months after that he just like got hit in the eye for four fucking months in the hospital his eye was never able to be fully fixed but we had to live with fucked up depth depth perception Mm -hmm. uh but he stayed friends with the kid who punched him in the face and that person george underwood did the artwork on bowie's early albums
2: yep george was wearing a ring on his finger when he first struck bowie's left eye and it caused paralysis as well as a distinctive mismatch appearance. The fight, it was over a girl, of
0: course. Of
1: course.
2: Mm.
0: Yeah. So Bowie did what any 15-year-old does. He started a band to play at local youth gatherings and weddings. Ah. And they were called the Conrads with K. George was in the band, too. Of course. Uh, but you know what? His friends didn't have their sights set big enough. So he ditched them for the King Bees, And he dropped out of school at age 16. He decided he was going to be a pop star. Sure. Somehow, Bowie was uh, referred to Leslie Kahn, which was a label guy on DJM. Um, He got himself a management contract. Their first single didn't really go anywhere. It was a song called Liza Jane by Davy Jones and the King Bees. Unhappy with the performance, Bowie left that group for the Manish Boys, (laughs) which was a blues, folk, soul type of group. It was okay, but he still needed more. He bounced around a bit and decided on a name change. Because, well, he was calling himself Davy Jones. That was the guy in the monkeys. So there was a little bit of confusion. He
2: was a pirate, too. Yes. <laughs> yeah, I mean, like, there's, <laughs> that name is taken.
0: Need a new one. So David settled on Bowie after the American pioneer James Bowie and his Bowie knife. He released the album David Bowie and it flopped. No more releases for two years. The late 60s saw Bowie becoming a bit of an eccentric uh, he began to study dance, meeting Lindsay Kemp at the London Dance Center. Now, Lindsay is a famous British mime, actor, dancer, and choreographer. So this period of time influenced his idea of characters and theatrical roles that would appear later on as he got into avant-garde, mime, and theater. He also met Hermione Farthingale. Uh, people named Hermione exist Interesting in real life.
2: When my mom would read the Harry Potter, like the first one to us, she would call her Hermie because she couldn't figure out how to pronounce it correctly.
0: Hermie. her
1: Herm for short.
0: Herm. Herm. <laughs> <laughs> so he met this chick named Hermione Farthingale, and the two began dating. She influenced Bowie's interest in folk music, and for a time, they did play in a group together. Their relationship didn't last more than a few years, though. Hermione had moved to Norway to write music for a film. Shortly thereafter, in 1969, the album Space Oddity was released. Yes. It was perfect time. Too. Uh, it was just a few days before the Apollo 11 launch. Mm. The album was finally a huge commercial success.
1: Bowie's a master of space. So
0: 1969 became a very big year for Bowie. He finally had a successful album. He met his first wife, Angela Barnett. He released another self-titled album that didn't do so hot, but it didn't really matter once The Man Who Sold the World came out in 1970. His label Mercury Records gave Bowie the chance to tour America with interviews set up all over the country. During that time, he was developing his androgynous alter ego, Ziggy Stardust so he first developed the look appearing in drag on a magazine cover toting a dress with him to wear for all of the interviews
2: it was also believed that the transformation into Ziggy Stardust the alter ego was due to his own troubled home life his own mother's vanity influenced Bowie's lifelong
0: obsession with his appearance his clothing and even his makeup. Surprisingly, for 1970, the reporters ate that shit up. Sure. In fact, they loved it. He did get a gun pointed at him once in the street by a man who was, like, scared to turn gay because he saw a dude wearing a dress. <laughs> I'm not like
2: gay. That, yeah. I feel like he, he had some of his own issues to work
0: out. Yeah. Like, <laughs> <it's
1: like, laughs> That's a big part of it. I mean, Come he, on, man. He lacked a lot of self-confidence. But when he put on, when he went into these characters and he changed his clothes and he like, he changed his personality. He mm-hmm. was actually his able... Method to, acting. Yeah. Yeah, yeah he was, <laughs> he exactly. Was, it gave him the confidence to get up there and go crazy in front of people.
2: So does alcohol. Just kidding. It yeah, does. well, <laughs> that's
1: but you, true. We've seen a lot of artists with that same kind of thing where... It's like you have to get into character. You have to get into, into, into your character. costume,
0: and once you're yeah. wearing the costume, well, the confidence comes. And there's a yeah. lot of people too that
2: they have that persona, and then when they're off stage and they're at home, they're they just want to be like everyone else. They don't want to keep that persona. Sure. Some, but right. some people will get stuck in it, like we talked about. Elton yes. John. Mm, I don't know. Yeah. I was was it yeah. John Mayer, which I pe- I think people are mad at John Mayer right now. But he did this interview where he said. He lived in L.A., but he had a house in, like, Montana or something. So when he felt himself getting to L.A., he, was, he would go out there and kind of regroup and <laughs> kind of figure his self out because he was just getting too big of an ego. Get back to yeah.
1: the
0: one. Yeah. Well, too bad for the guy who was scared to turn gay. In 1970, <laughs> he did. Bowie married his first wife, Mary Angela Barnett or Angie. They did have an open marriage. She wanted to work, and apparently being married was the only way that she could get a permit to get a job.
2: Hmm. which was kind
0: of weird um, Bowie expressed that he didn't he did not love her he and told sad. her before they got married but nevertheless she still ended up popping out a child his name was Duncan Zoe
2: Duncan's a cute name Bowie
1: Duncan is cute
0: Duncan what
1: especially for Only a because British of the kid. donuts
0: I wonder if you get free donuts his rest of his I life. mean Duncan Zoe Bowie come on like what
1: definitely and dress so. up in a little three-piece suit
0: I don't know so now now might be the time to mention the story of two 15 year old girls lori maddox and sable Starr. they met david when they were just 14 years old and sometime in the 1970s um so bowie was in his 20s at that point and they were like 14 15 so they met multiple times but once at age 15 they were invited to bowie's house while he was married to angie and they had a threesome cool so now by today's laws this is statutory rape so Um, cool. when you hear people say that david bowie is a rapist and he grooms kids this is why
2: this might be a bad time to say this though but i've never heard anyone call him that or nor have i heard the story
0: i i've heard it before and i didn't really i've never uh, Looked into given it. a shit about david bowie so <laughs> i've heard that and then i heard this story this is where it, gets it problematic. came straight from the girl's mouth so okay. after his death Maddox told the story to the website Thrillist whose reporters they just asked her straight up if she saw any sort of problem with Bowie being older powerful and giving two underage girls drugs and booze and she said I was an innocent girl but the way it happened was so beautiful who wouldn't want to lose their virginity to David Bowie am I going to regret this no and all I have to say is okay Um, now despite Bowie's marriage to Angie he did declare himself gay in 1972 like I'm gay but was it a true statement or was that just him in character as Ziggy Stardust um, later on, his wife Angie confirmed along with Bowie that he was bisexual, not necessarily gay, but she did claim that he had a relationship with Mick Jagger. Um, he didn't have any issues with the declaration in Europe because Europeans, like, they don't really care as much, but America was pretty puritanical. Sure. Uh, Bowie did not want to be known for his sexuality, though. He wanted to be considered for his music and his art. So others said that Bowie was definitely not gay or bisexual, that he was just experimenting because he was young and curious. Hmm. I don't know, who fucking knows. But his sexuality is like a kind of a part of the story as well, so got to mention it. Bowie had been toying with uh, with the name Ziggy or Iggy. He wanted to base his new persona on Iggy Pop and Lou Reed, but also um make him look like he had just arrived from Mars. So he was gifted with an album by an artist called the Legendary Stardust Cowboy and just like that he had it ziggy Stardust.
1: <laughs> i think with his career it's it's easy to just think of bowie as like a pop star but like he was very very imperative in punk rock mm-hmm. in the beginning you know with like mc5 even all of those bands especially the stooges and all of that stuff i mean he was like so impactful for that um for that genre and the start of punk rock you know mm-hmm. in in england
2: norman carl odom known professionally as the legendary star bu- Starbust. <laughs> The legendary Starbucks Cowboys. Space? I said it again. Jesus. It space okay. boobs. Space boobs. Carl Norman. Normal Carl. Norman Carl. <laughs> what? <laughs> Ugh. Norman Carl Odom, known professionally as the legendary Stardust Cowboy, is an outsider performer who is considered one of the pioneers of the genre that came to be known as psychobilly in the 1960s. Ah, uh,
0: okay. Yeah. Okay. Well, it's easier for people to look at a character like David Bowie and say, damn, that guy's really out there. He is so unique. Yeah. But Bowie made it very clear who his influences were on his next album, which was called Hunky Dory. This one features featured songs like song for bob dylan another one called andy warhol and one called queen bitch which was a lou reed (laughs) shout out Uh, when you compile a list of all of bowie's favorite people it's easy to see why he is the way he is
2: yep so we mentioned before the book uncommon people by david hepworth right so he mentions bowie wasn't even meant to be ziggy at first Bowie's going to make up this whole persona just for someone else to be that character. Like he was putting all these elements together and he was just going to push someone else out in the world to do it.
0: Oh, and he's like mascot.
1: He wanted to be more of a producer, not necessarily the character. It didn't go into
2: detail of why it just said he, he gave it to a guy or he met this guy named Freddie Baretti, which was not <laughs> his real name at the time. Sure. Um, but he changed it. Bowie had met him during his travels at a hangout in El Sombrero. Freddie became a fashion designer and helped Bowie bring the Ziggy outfits to life. I guess he just decided, oh, it's too good. I'm going to do it instead, (laughs) which you should have. Hmm. So in the mid 70s, Freddie left London and told Bowie he wanted to work for Valentino in Europe. But unfortunately, the two ended up losing touch.
0: Oh, yeah. So once um, the character Ziggy Stardust was revealed to the world in 1972, Bowie's fame shot into superstardom. He created a Really fantastical stage show that uh, he took around the United Kingdom. He combined hard rock and experimental pop for the rise and fall of Ziggy Stardust and the Spiders from Mars. The experience included huge theatrical lighting setups, shocking moments like Bowie stripping down to his undies or pretending to give the guitar a big old blowjob. You know, of course. (laughs) (laughs) So this one stayed on the album charts for two years.
2: Rightfully so, because Starman, Suffragette City, and
0: even Ziggy Stardust, the album had bangers. Yeah, sure and did. it even kicked up enough excitement to put Hunky Dory back on the chart. Well, on the charts in the first place. It had already been out for six months, and it didn't chart. So the next album, everyone was like, well, what about this one that just came out too? Uh, the Ziggy Stardust tour made its way to the United States while he contributed songs for Mott the Hoople and the Stooges
2: hunky dory had hits i don't know why it didn't chart uh changes was on it life on mars queen bitch like you said it was such a good album Mm -hmm. i don't understand why it took that long but okay well because people people
0: hadn't discovered him yet i guess (sighs) so So silly bowie's next (laughs) album was described as ziggy goes to america it was written during his u.s tour it was called aladdin sane and it came out in 1973 before a japanese tour uk u.s japan ziggy stardust Mm -hmm. That bitch is worldwide. Sure. Bowie began to become personally affected by his character, Ziggy Stardust. Like he was living it. He had trouble separating himself from the character, saying, Off stage, I'm a robot. On stage, I achieve emotion. It's probably why I prefer dressing up as Ziggy to being David. Bowie would give interviews and conferences as his hyperdramatic Ziggy. He even went on to say that the character just wouldn't leave him alone. And as it affected his personality, it started to get dangerous. He basically tricked himself into insanity and promptly retired the character on July 3rd, 1973, breaking up with the spiders from Mars. It's like we said, it's a method, act- act thing. <laughs> method acting goes wrong. I
2: can't imagine how hard it would be to be able to remove your character performance, especially when you're touring and mm-hmm. that's like a persona that they expect you to be every constantly. night. Constantly,
0: yeah. And you're, you're having to perform for fans. Like even if you're just passing by them, they're like... Right.
2: You can't just be like... like how do you pissed. understand where that character stops and your personality starts? Like you would have to have such a good understanding of who you are outside of them. Right. But when it starts melding together, it's just tough.
1: I think this... I think this helped him though with the schizophrenia like the fear of schizophrenia and having the genes for schizophrenia like this actually helped him the fact that like more
0: like bipolar though. There was definitely like some shit going on there. When you get so paranoid and locked into character that you don't know who you are maybe you should go to therapy. Um, So in 1974 Bowie relocated to Los Angeles and he completely switched gears. He released the more soul and funk inspired album Diamond Dogs and this is where we Got the hit Rebel Rebel. Although Bowie ditched his Ziggy Stardust alter ego, of course he still had to have lavish production and a theatrical expensive stage show. There's a documentary out about this time period where the thin white Duke persona begins to develop. And truly... He was very thin and very pasty. (laughs) It seems that Bowie was truly psychologically damaged from something. Uh, There was a heavy cocaine addiction that began to take hold. With, uh, With addiction usually comes paranoia and emotional issues. And the case was no different with Bowie. He once said, David Bowie is alive and well and living. Only in theory. Fun. Because he was like so fucked up on cocaine. 1975 brought another new album, of course, this one titled Young Americans and featuring a much heavier funky soul sounds that Bowie called Plastic Soul uh, on songs like Fame. So this song was actually co-written with John Lennon, who said it was just rock and roll with lipstick on. Okay. Cute. With with this album, Bowie had become one of the few white artists to be, as biographer Christopher Sanford says, black by extension. High
2: praise. Also, fun fact: <laughs> Bowie gave Luther Vandross an early break as a backup singer on Young Americans.
0: Hmm. Few artists were able to kind of cross that boundary, like accepted as approaching black genres in the correct way. Respected sure. by yes, everyone, by black musicians. Yeah, when he tried to to kind of use their genres. I don't know. Mm. Um, so Bowie was one of the first white artists also to appear on Soul Train, where he just, this motherfucker just had to mime. He, he did like miming shit in his spare time when he was in college and stuff. Oh, he, he performed though. Could yeah. See that. They said he mimed as well. I did not watch it. I was like, I am not <laughs> I thought watching you were, this motherfucker be a mime. I read this
2: and I was like, is she indicating that he was just lip syncing no. The whole no, time? No. He, he,
0: <laughs> he did mime shit. That was like one of his pastimes was was interpretive dance. Yeah, sure. He did mime. I mean, that girl
2: was a mime.
0: Who mimes? That's so fucking weird. They can't weird. talk about it. <laughs>
1: <laughs> David fucking Bowie mimes.
0: It's so weird. I mean, uh, it, might, it
1: must teach him some kind of weird. <laughs> there's got to be elements of it that like teach you something productive. I mean, maybe some dance moves. How to
0: shut
2: the fuck up? It would be. It's a lot of expressive <laughs> yeah. facial expressions. Yes, yeah, so I guess True. you have to be over expressive. Yeah.
1: I bet it's that an was, acting exercise. It is. is it okay? Yeah, well, there you we go. had
2: to do shit like that in high school. Because you're an actor too, right? No. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so on November fourth, nineteen seventy-five, Bowie appeared on Soul Train, and according to journalist Renee Graham, she said Soul Train didn't need Bowie; they wanted him on their stage. It wasn't like he was promoting them; they were promoting him. Yeah. Um, they wanted to showcase the best music around in the mid 70s and he was indulging his love of American soul music um, it was just something they could get behind like mm-hmm. you said you know they were they respected he was doing it, it right yeah. yep so he ended up performing Fame and Golden Years on the show which are two great
0: songs mm-hmm. at this point Bowie had some issues with his manager it wasn't the first time that he just up and fired whoever was playing that role this time it ended up with a legal battle where Bowie had to give up millions in future earnings for breaking his contract
2: the the reason they were in an argument too is because of the contract like he didn't want his manager to have so much control
0: Well Bowie shut himself in his attic after this and they said he could be heard howling through the door for a week. The very next manager got the same deal, a ton of money, once Bowie fired him the very next year. Mm-hmm. He just could not get along with these guys. So he'd get rid of them, and then they were like, mm, contract, you, you owe me tons of money. Yeah, the you. first guy, though, there was actually something more that he did,
2: which we'll get into, but I just didn't think, because he didn't get charged for it until like later on. So it's it's later on in the episode, but we'll get to it, because that guy was sneaky AF.
1: Knowing getting- that about Bowie, I feel like he should have been more... Um, careful with maybe signing like a fucking five-year contract with somebody or whatever because that's why they were gifted money right because his contract was not up and they had to get out of it early
0: i guess i mean if he he got rid of them early then they were entitled to so much of the earnings i think
1: right
2: it's like breaking a lease you know you still have to pay for what you're not there for yeah so any albums that should have still been on that contract would then Give that person a percentage mm-hmm. of. That's what I assume. I don't know. I'm not.
1: After he signs a contract, it actually works in your favor to get fired.
0: Yeah, so just keep fucking with him until he fires you and be like, don't do that. Now we don't have to do anything. Have some respect
2: for yourself.
1: This should have been a better contract. Well, also in
0: 1975, Bowie moved to L.A. to try his hand at being a movie star. Uh, There's more cocaine to follow, of course, and then some tensions with his wife. This is where things start to get a little problematic. Bowie played a nasty character in his words called the Thin White Duke, which we mentioned earlier in a film called the man who fell to earth this was in 1976 so the thin white duke wore a white shirt a vest black pants kind of like cabaret style and he was really kind of an asshole he was supposed to be a hollow evil amoral emotionless aristocratic aristocratic aryan hmm so this persona went along with an album called station to station which had some of bowie's darker religious influences at play The song itself specifically refers to Kabbalah, um, station is Station, which in my understanding is like Jewish mysticism and philosophy about understanding the secrets of the universe. Um, I don't really know, <laughs> but we called it Extremely Dark, the nearest album to a magic treatise that I've ever written. Now, magic with a K on the end is a practice preached by a cultist, Alistair Crowley. Uh, this guy preached that magic was a way to reach understanding of self and reconciliation between free will and destiny Destiny. So you basically use natural forces around us to change things according to your will, and it's not good, bad, or evil. But honestly, don't
1: ask me. He also <laughs> thought that the key to the universe was in everyone's butthole.
0: It is. That's fun. It's <laughs> like a, you know, it's like a little lock for the key. Yeah. Um, like but like it, it, digging
2: all the way through a cereal box to find okay. the toy
0: in your butthole so there are episodes of last podcast on the left that dive really deep into the thickness of what the fuck magic with a k is so i do recommend (laughs) if you're more interested in that side of shit go listen to them because they really paid attention and it's just it's so much information that we're not going to do actually um (laughs) they they do an episode on david bowie and the occult as well so if you want to listen to that as a follow-up if you want to hear more about his like weird magic shit
2: magic and witches is completely different and it's
0: not what right everyone... magic with a k is different than like just like these hippie i'm ass... gonna burn sage or whatever yeah. Anyways, this new thin white Duke guy was a very sinister character. In interviews, Bowie started to say that Hitler was the ultimate rock star. And he made other statements (laughs) that defended fascism as being beneficial. When these issues were brought up by critics, Bowie blamed it on the persona. He just said, look, man, I was in character. That's the character. We know at this point how heavily Bowie became involved in his acting. And he wrote his comments off as being Purely theatrical and a product of the darkest days of his life, using astronomical amounts of cocaine and amphetamines. Uh, he also blamed LA, saying that it should be wiped off the face of the earth. <laughs> probably
2: not wrong. Don't people still believe that?
0: Yes. <laughs> once more, he had to ditch the character for the sake of his own sanity, which was probably a wise choice. Uh, but we moved to Europe once more in an effort to recover mentally and physically. Sure.
1: LA is uh, scumbag Narnia. for sure and i'm surprised that he took that role honestly i mean i know you're just trying to jump his his acting career but he's already making enough money in music it's just a weird role to take especially after you've been like embraced by african-american music and like i mean i know it's it's like the opposite
0: of of who he is as a person he's not the thin white duke he's like this you know He's the
1: eccentric star that like everyone likes and everyone yeah. wants to play on his record. Like I don't I just don't understand why he would pick that character especially knowing that. Well,
0: because he's an
2: actor.
1: He might turn into him realistically, you know.
2: Yeah, it was a challenge for him because it was the exact opposite of who he was. Maybe just wanted to see if he could do it. Maybe the opposite spectrum. He did so well that people thought it was him now,
0: and he's like, "Bruh!" He's like, "No, no, no. that's not me. That's him." (laughs) (laughs) That's true. So uh, Bowie's next era found him working on the Berlin trilogy, the three minimalistic art rock albums that he wrote while living in West Berlin in 1977. It was another stylistic shift for Bowie. This time being influenced more by electronic German groups like Kraftwerk. The following tour (laughs) was the. First in five years that Bowie was not completely fucked out of his mind on drugs. He was finally in a healthy state and making friends rather than enemies. Who was
2: making enemies? Enemies with David Bowie. His
0: managers? Who well, was making enemies? You know, when he was him? doing his thin white duke racist character. He probably oh, made some enemies. Sure. Yeah. Okay. Um, anyways, his marriage was still suffering and David Bowie and Angie were divorced by nineteen eighty. Oh. And apparently their time together really sucked, but I guess that's to be expected of a loveless marriage. Uh Bowie compared it to living with a blowtorch. <laughs> All right, I'm struggling to see the connection. Like a live one, or Um, just
2: constantly blowing on
0: fire. It's
2: really really hot. Just like sitting in the garage. We have a blowtorch. Yeah.
0: (laughs) Well, it was so bad that there was a gag order after the divorce, Um, so Angie was not allowed to talk about the relationship for, I think, like five years or something. But once that was up, she wrote a book on the matter called "Backstage Passes: Life on the Wild Side with David Bowie." You think at this point that David Bowie must have reached the height of his career? Why you just? That's wrong. David Bowie. David Bowie. <laughs> <David DeBowee.
1: laughs> <laughs> First off, that, just by that title, it sounds like it was written by a fucking concert promo kid.
0: Yeah, I know. Not his wife.
1: No. <laughs> so fuck? weird.
0: So, you know, you'd think that he would have been at the height of his career because we've been talking about him for like five, six pages, but you know, he's still not there yet. The nineteen eighties were another incredible era for the artist where he pioneered what the British called the New Romantic Movement. It was very similar to his Ziggy era, honestly. Uh, there was an emphasis on flamboyance and eccentrism. He began collaborating more, and this brought about the huge under pressure with Queen. Yes. Under Beautiful. Bing, bing, Thanks,
1: Drew. Bing, 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 bing. I love that <laughs> song. What a good track. God, let's listen to the way home. And now
0: we'll reenact it for you. Under pressure. Bell. <laughs> 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 Bell. <Bam. Bam. laughs> <laughs> in 1983 the album Let's Dance brought about hits like China Girl and Modern Love again a huge change in style Bowie was made for MTV this was the beginning of the MTV era he had always been creative theatrical and artistic and his videos were frequently shown on the music video channel Bowie had at the time the most expensive music videos ever created mm-hmm. um with his song Ashes to Ashes that one cost over half a million dollars to make uh, he also won a Grammy for Best Short Form Music Video with his single Blue Jean. Um Currently, Ashes to Ashes is number 67 on the list of most expensive videos ever made. Number one on that list is Scream by Michael and Janet Jackson at $7 million.
1: What perfect timing because this collides everything that he needs. Like the opportunity to actually turn his imagination into a real visual for everyone else yes. experiencing his songs. He's perfect for it.
0: Yes. He was made for MTV.
1: He's made for music videos.
0: All he wants to do is act, dance, f- perform, theater, music, blah, blah, blah. It combines everything.
1: Occasionally bang McJagger. Jagger.
0: Occasionally bang McJagger. Jagger, you know, all of it. In the latter half of the 1980s, Bowie had two relatively unsuccessful albums. He didn't release anything under his name again until 1993. Instead, he created a new project called Tin Machine with four members. They had absolutely no rules. They came together in Switzerland with no idea about what their sound or their concept would be. They wrote their songs 100% from scratch and it resulted in a heavier rock and roll album. Their first tour took some time to pick up momentum. So they decided to give it another go with Tin Machine 2, but Bowie had to keep leaving for other solo touring obligations. They ended up giving up after a while.
1: What a dream come true. Like that's what you do when you become a successful musician is you just get crazy cabins in Sweden or wherever the fuck and like invite a bunch of rad musicians and say, "Let's see what we come up with." That yeah. sounds so fun.
2: In 1986, your beloved Bo starred in Jim Henson's Labyrinth, Drew's favorite movie of all time. If you haven't seen the movie, which I'm pretty sure some of you haven't, please do yourself a favor and just change that. Shame <laughs> on you if you haven't seen it. <laughs> Labyrinth is an 80s gem, and Bowie stars as Jareth, the Goblin King. Long story short, he kidnaps a baby brother of the main character. The baby brother's name's Toby. The main character, Sarah, and she has to make her way through this labyrinth maze to get her brother back before like time runs out or he keeps him forever. I don't remember the whole premise. And
1: she has to fight the the Goblin King, who is Bowie, in an M.C. Escher type setting, which is all the different staircases. She has to get through a labyrinth. There's all kinds of cool gnomes and um, elves and and evil creatures. There's the worm. Hello, I'm a worm.
2: (laughs) There's a couple of musical numbers because, like I said, it's Jim Henson. Um, But Bowie actually recorded five original songs for the movie, including my own personal fave and probably yours, too. Magic Dance. It was also referred to as Dance Magic because I guess neither the production company nor the fans could keep straight what the title actually was. Okay. Okay. (laughs) So they're like, we'll just go with both of them. So the weird part is Bowie's character is literally singing and dancing this song while holding the baby Toby. And according to Wikipedia, there are 50 different puppets and 12 costume goblin extras who also joined in on this dance number. It's, it's honestly great, but there's also <laughs> okay. something I learned new this time. Bowie, when recording the song, he was doing all of the baby gurgles in it Ugh. initially.
1: <laughs> and that it so, much <laughs>
2: so he had a background singer at the time who had a baby, and they were going to try to record this baby's like gurgles and noises for the song, what? but... Unlike most child stars, it couldn't perform under pressure. <laughs> the bitch wasn't and, listening. <laughs> yeah, so Bowie <laughs> went in and did all of the different gurgles, the goo-goos and the gauze that are in Ew. the song, and it makes it so much funnier to me. I, I was telling a coworker about this, and then we listened to it before the store had opened, and we we're just like cackling about the fact that it's like now that you a know, it, ass man. Yeah, Actually, now that you know it it's David Bowie, you can tell. But not knowing that. It just sounds like a baby.
1: It's funny to think of in the studio <laughs> setting because the engineer's like, oh, that's ah, great, ah. Bowie. We got it. Yeah. I, you know, and then he turns to his friend and he's all like, all we got to do is get these baby sounds. And David Bowie's like, oh, I'll, I'll do the baby yeah. sounds. Yeah. I, I got them. I a mean,
0: bit more innocent. In okay.
2: order to practice all of your range of acting skills, why the hell not? <laughs> it's,
1: it's either that or someone was like, David Bowie, do you want to do the baby No, they also? just
2: get it to happen. So.
1: No one would have the balls to ask that. So. Um,
2: but also, fun fact, there were no babies harmed in the making of this album. Or That's not fun. <laughs> I thought that would be a fun fact. But this also, Labyrinth was not Bowie's first film, nor would it be his last. He's got over 40 acting credits to his name, which aren't including his own music videos. There was like 130 total when you include the music videos. But some notable movies he appeared in were Zoolander, Twin Peaks, The Man Who Fell to Earth, The Prestige. I don't know if that one's really notable. I can't remember it. I saw it. It wasn't that great. (laughs) Okay. Um, He even voiced Lord Royal Highness in a character in an episode of SpongeBob SquarePants.
0: Wow. Nice. Uh, Perfect.
2: There's another mention of that later on. We'll get to it.
0: (laughs) Okay. So now it's 1990 and Bowie has... Uh, His own little renaissance. He's been divorced from Angie for 10 years at this point. He found love at first sight with Somali-born supermodel Iman Abdul Majid. He released Black Tie, White Noise... Um, album number 18 which is fucking netto. and much to everyone's surprise he hit number one in the the UK with the song Jump They Say. While it was a return to his 80s sort of dance style he did incorporate some new sounds of jazz and hip-hop so ever evolving. Now interestingly enough Bowie made some sort of faith transition to Christianity here. Hmm. He married Iman in a Christian church he called theirs a Real marriage, sanctified by God. Okay. He made comments later that he was not a believer in organized religion, nor was he sure if he was an atheist or not.
1: He was a Buddhist before. Yeah,
0: he wanted to be a monk. mm -hmm. Yeah,
2: according to a USA Today interview from 2016, Bowie actually stated he felt more drawn to agnosticism or Buddhism than Christianity And he said that he was probably an agnostic troubadour.
0: So he believed that something was, there was a God, but which one is it? Who fucking knows? And it wasn't
1: who you're trying to tell me it was. Yeah, I guess. Because that's the organized religion thing, obviously, right?
0: Yeah. So, um, okay. At this point, we've got to introduce a guy called Brian Eno. He is a musician most well-known for electronica slash ambient music. He and Bowie got together in 1995 for another experimental album called One. Outside. Again, no preconceived concepts with this one. They approached it like a bunch of improv and theater kids would with flashcards. <laughs> Bowie what? taught George, oh my God, I said that wrong. Bowie told George Paul of Access Magazine at 95 that Brian would flash cards with situations like, You're the disgruntled member of a South African rock band. Play the notes that were suppressed. And uh, the resulting concept of the album was based on art crime in the future that had people murdering others and mutilating their bodies. And that was their own artistic expression. So they put the bodies on display and this was their art.
1: What a creative exercise. <laughs> <I> mean, like,
0: <laughs> like you
1: just come up with concepts and like work with other musicians to be like, make it sound like that.
0: Yeah, that's what that's they were doing. They were doing sick. like improv music. It's super weird, and then the whole concept for the album was like, "How do you even fucking think of that?"
1: As we're we're in the future. future. Are they still on
2: drugs at this point?
1: We're only. Mm,
0: I don't think in '95. I don't think so. Okay, I, I think they were Bowie just fan. weird theater kids.
1: Yeah. Was I was a huge Bowie fan before this ah. episode, but now after the research you guys have done, I've, I like him even more because he's. All You're of welcome. these games that he plays are so fucking fun. Games. Okay.
2: Yeah. It wasn't a game to him. This was <laughs> showbiz, baby.
0: <laughs> okay, so they had this weird, like, futuristic art crime concept, and he wrote a story about it, then used a computer to randomize all of the words to create lyrics oh, for no. the album. So it wasn't, like, actual <laughs> songwriting. It was, I'm going to write this short story. It's got 300 words randomize them all and now all of the words are not in order and here Ew. is the song it's like spoken word but with You know how there's
2: those memes on Facebook that say, I fed, you know, 10,000 hours of the office to a bot on the computer, and this is what happened. Yeah, I think it was similar to
0: that. So it's kind of weird, and it was kind of a morbid theme because they're using, like, humans as their art pieces by carving up their bodies. Mm. Super weird. So they went on tour with Nine Inch Nails as support, but the Nine Inch Nails fans were not into it, and they dipped as soon as Bowie started performing I mean,
1: shame on you! What
0: bozo would leave a Bowie performance? Come on! Who cares what
2: songs he's playing? It's still Bowie, and that's a historic moment. Whether whether or not it sucks is.
1: It's going to be theatrical,
2: right? But he he was in support of them, so it's he was the headliner. No, he wasn't. He was the support. Nine Nine Inch Nails was support. Nine Inch Nails was support.
1: Not yeah. Yeah, which makes sense. It's a good lineup, especially I mean, it, for like Bowie's yes, darker but stuff. but if
0: David Bowie was performing his normal shit, that would be one thing, but he was performing this weird
1: avant-garde thing. he wasn't uh, doing any
0: of his hits from the 70s or 80s he was doing this like yeah avant-garde yep. weirdo like art pop um thing. It made sense that he was touring with Trent Rester <laughs> yeah and then the and then the Nine Inch Nails fans were like what the fuck is That's going fair.
1: on you I get it but would, also I'm annoyed I don't know I I feel like that tour like you, you should have expected the Nine Inch Nails fans to stick around generally because yeah, Nine Inch Nails know. are kind of in the same ballpark of That's, just yeah Nine Inch you know Nails kind is of like a, kind of trippy dark uh, pop. I think it's
2: a you have an acquired taste
1: for sure, but it is danceable and it is very creative and very very different.
0: Well, we'll see. If you want to check out this album and see if it's something that you would stick around to at a Nine Inch Nails show, let us know. I wouldn't have been going to see Nine Inch Nails. Why?
2: I'm not really into it. I like Trent Reznor's I leg. seem
0: to recall in a previous episode you Look, berated our listeners f- no, for potentially for not, not knowing, knowing who Trent Reznor was. Would be. Yeah.
2: I can appreciate his art, but I like the soundtrack and the the more scores that he does. Okay.
0: At this point Bowie had been in the music scene for well over 20 years and as such he was eligible for the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. He was inducted in 1996. You know, usually at this point, things start winding down in a musician's career, but yeah. not for Bowie. I mean, he went on to release a rave music album called Earthling, which was still very successful in the US and the UK. He was nominated for some Grammys with that album, and he got he also got his very own star on the Hollywood
2: Walk of Fame. Did you know that anybody can nominate a celebrity for the Hollywood Walk of Fame? no.
0: Anybody like you me? How do they decide who's a celebrity? It goes to like a panel. Yeah, are they on Wikipedia? So
2: if have we have make over... a
0: Wikipedia page for ourselves, can we be like, make no, me star? No, it a was wik-
2: it's there was specifics. They had to be at least be a celebrity for like longer than four years.
1: You gotta have the blue check on Instagram. You gotta have over a hundred thousand oh, followers list. on Facebook and. You have to... Uh, He's making that up. Have I don't know. I don't How really did they know. do
0: it before Facebook and Instagram? Right.
2: So you have to be a celebrity for over four years, like actively still working, yada, yada. Um, the celeb has to be nominated, and then they're selected by this panel. They The celebrity then has to accept the nomination, and then they, the celebrity, has to pay $50,000 for the ceremony wow. that they have to promise to appear at. You can't just be like, okay, I'm going to give you this money, but I'm not going to show up, because then they won't do it. So you have to show up to the ceremony where you get the star. And
1: then people like don't like you for some reason. They just go poop on your star for the rest of your life for eternity.
0: Yeah. All right. So now we're turning a page. Remember how Prince started to innovate with the internet sales and shit like that. Yeah. Um Bowie did some pretty interesting things as well, including the release of Bowie Bonds, and I really like had to delve into this to try and understand what it was. Yeah, that so, sounded weird. So. Basically securities for the revenue of his previous 25 albums. So, Bowie was forfeiting royalties for a total of 10 years. He got a sum of 55 million dollars up front from his insurance company even though mp3s came out and started to take a dig at album sales bowie bonds were still able to liquidate in 2007 and that was you know what they planned on doing the rights of the songs were reverted back to bowie so he basically said like to this bank hey give we'll sell these bowie bonds or whatever you get all of the revenue for 10 years just and just give me this money give me front. 50
1: million dollars is that the first artist that's done that? Because it's really freaking smart.
2: It's
0: smart, but
1: and I th- weird. He
2: did it because of the manager that he had that was taking royalties without his permission.
0: Yeah. So I mean, it was it was super. Oh. It was wild. like a security. So he, yeah. He used the fifty-five million dollars that he got up front. Um, to buy back all of the songs that were owned by his former manager when the firing and legal legal drama happened back in 1975. It wasn't
2: until 2012 where a New York judge had ruled the former manager of Bowie, Anthony DeFries, DeFries owed $9.5 million as a judgment after being found guilty of copyright infringement because he was illegally selling these music compositions and recordings of Bowie's. Other artists like John Mellencamp, Iggy Pop. He was selling them on Amazon, iTunes, stuff like that when it became available. Napster. Just keeping 100% of and the profits. And he was keeping all the profits. Yeah. So he didn't own the rights to any of the music he was violating. Or he didn't own the rights to any of the music anymore. So he was violating the artist sales contracts. He was literally leeches. a crap bag.
1: Total leeches. Mm. This is very similar to Prince though with like the, the stamina of dealing with fucking assholes that try to take advantage of you in the music industry and like being wildly creative to get past it and, and succeeding.
0: I mean, it was, it was wild. I don't think it would work nowadays. Like they said with the digital sales of things, um,
2: they're introducing so many different digital types of things now With like Bitcoin and... Yeah, the
0: NFTs.
2: Yes, I don't understand a single
1: word of it. If this was Bowie, (laughs) like back then, like this version of it would be like a Bowie coin.
0: Okay, so I looked up the NFTs because Kings of Leon recently released their album as an NFT, which is a non-fungible token, which is uh, similar to like cryptocurrency and Bitcoin. So each token is individualized um they may have like photos or videos or music or whatever but like they're all unique and the good thing about them is that if you sell your album as an nft online then somebody can purchase it if they decide i don't want this anymore i'm gonna sell it second hand then the artist still can collect money off of that like so if somebody comes into the bookstore and they sell, they sell you like an sync CD. Mm-hmm. sync's not making any profit off of that. Right. They only made the initial profit. So the way that the NFTs work is that every single time that their album gets sold after the fact, they still collect a percentage right. automatically. So that's cool. But also, like, right. you're not actually buying a physical thing. You're buying, like, pictures. Like, yeah. that's not fucking... So what am I going to do? Look at like, them on my computer by I, myself?
1: It's pretty similar to buying a security or buying a stock in something. So really, when you purchase this from Kings of Leon, you're buying a share of... Of Kings of Leon, does that make sense? Yes, so, like, but you're it's getting weird. something in return, <laughs> and when you go to sell it down the road, there's only X amount of them. It's
0: like Beanie Babies
1: or vinyl, like, or
0: Pokemon cards. If nobody wants them, then you're not really investing. So
1: that's what's. cool I about mean, 20 vinyl. years
0: in the future, if nobody wants that Kings of Leon album and you, you bought the token, then nobody gives a shit, and it doesn't exist in real life, anyways. It's all in the internet,
1: right? But that's you taking that risk on that oh, stock, no. right? <gasps> <sighs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> but we also started up a thing called Bowie Net in nineteen ninety eight, which unlike Prince's one eight hundred new funk website, was an actual it was an internet service provider. So, where um, he offered Bowie exclusive content like photos, live streams, live chats, and downloadable music. So, instead of having like Cox Cable, you could have Bowie Net installed at your fucking house. Oh, no
2: Is it way. still active? Oh, no. It no, closed. it's not. <laughs> it, it,
0: it closed in 2006, but it gave users their own Bowie Net email, which was another reason why people wanted it. They wanted to be like alex at bowienet.com. I like Alex's original email address. <laughs> No.
1: Can you still do it? Because I <laughs> want to do that immediately. I want no, that you can't. Do you know Alex's
0: uh,
2: like kid internet. We're not email going address? over it. I still use it. We can't talk about what it. Was okay.
1: What was yours, Cassie?
2: Dramaqueen two four seven at Cox.net. <laughs>
1: <laughs> mine was Warpig sixty nine sixty
0: nine. <laughs> I'm not going to talk about mine because I still yours? I still use it. I still use it for PayPal. I don't want to tell people what it is. Um, yeah. So the users got to have a Bowie Net email, and then they got to build and share their own websites and their own art. Like I said, it closed down in 2006. In 1999, Bowie released his least successful album called Hours. Not even going to talk about it. His next two were Heathen and Reality, and they were influenced by the attacks on 9-11. In his usual ebb and flow of success, these two were received fairly well, his best charting since the 1980s. Now, when he went on tour for Reality in 2004, two things happened. One... He was hit in the eye with a lollipop.
2: (laughs) So I had to stop you here because this made me laugh so hard. So according to the internet, Bolu is halfway through his third song at a Norwegian music festival. And this object starts flying toward him. The stage smacks him right in the eye. I don't know why.
0: I don't know. It
2: didn't say. I was like, why are they just taking it out on his eyes? So the mysterious object was a lollipop, which is apparently as a, you know, it's, it's like a girl throwing their bra on stage. Wow, <laughs> so, okay, yeah. Um, a lollipop apparently is considered a mess, a, a mess, it is a mess. It's a message <laughs> of adoration since Norwegians apparently call the lollipops love on a stick.
1: Love okay. on a stick. I don't know if that's
2: real. <laughs> that's what the internet said. Don't come oh, at don't me. Know. I'm not from Norwegian. Norwegia. <laughs> 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 Where are they from? Norway?
1: <laughs> Norwegia. <laughs>
2: she was saying it
1: i was gonna say it as a joke i know it's wrong but i was like
2: wait what is the actual oh never my mind god.
1: all right well we can't ignore that lollipops have a, have a place in sex culture i think it's more funny how david bowie's fucking eye is a, is a universal magnet yeah. for shit to fuck it
0: oh my god yeah so that was the first thing that happened um His second thing was he had a heart attack. Sure. So let's get serious. I'm trying to stop laughing about the line.
2: (laughs) It made me laugh really hard when I read it.
0: Okay. So he had a heart attack. The tour was canceled. He'd been performing some major festivals like the Isle of Wight and hurricane festivals in Europe, which are really huge. Initially, uh, the pain that he was experiencing was thought to just be a pinched nerve in his shoulder. Mm -hmm. Probably something that happened amidst all of the running around, but it turns out it was an acutely blocked coronary artery that needed immediate surgery. After the attack, Bowie decided to take a step back from performing. It didn't
2: sit that long, though. It didn't stop him from jumping back on stage with Arcade Fire in 2005 with renditions of Wake Up and Five Years as part of the New York Fashion rocks
0: event. Uh, he won a Grammy Lifetime Achievement in 2006, later declaring that he would take a year off from touring and recording. Kind of like Prince. One mm. month later, that guy was back on stage. And this was a show with David Gilmore. Um, recordings of this performance were later released, so you can probably find them somewhere. David Bowie's final ever on-stage performance was with Alicia Keys at the Black Ball in November of 2005 for the Keep a Child Alive event, which provides support to HIV and AIDS-affected communities in Africa and India. Yep, Bowie played three songs
2: at the event, Wild is the Wind, Fantastic Voyage, and Changes, which he sang as a duet with Keys.
0: While he wasn't performing on stage, he was still actively curating festivals and releasing music here and there. So in 2013, Bowie decided that for his 66th birth year he would release his first new music in a decade that was called the next day it produced his first singles in the top 10 for two decades now there are some artists that just blow my mind and have hits in like four separate decades. Louis Armstrong had hits in five decades. Michael Jackson had them in four decades. Cher, U2, Madonna, and believe it or not, Weird Al. Yeah Had (laughs) had top 40 hits in four separate decades. And um, I looked up the Weird Al ones because I'm concerned. He had Eat It in the 80s, Smells Like Nirvana in the 90s, white and nerdy in the 2000s, and word crimes in the 2010s.
1: Good for him. Love
0: that guy. The only one
1: that makes me angry about that is you because Yeah, like, it was like, excuse what? me, what the
0: fuck? Were they around in the 70s, or are we not talking 70s? 80s, it 90s, 2000s. 80s, 2000s. They 90s. were 80s. Yeah. And but- the
1: only reason why they were on the charts of the other one is because they raped all our I was going to say it was that yeah. one.
0: Yeah, okay. So back to the album. The title track, Next Day, released a music video on YouTube. Mind you, it is 2013. The video was removed after two hours for violating YouTube's terms of service. But the um, it, they shortly reinstated it with an 18-plus age restriction. In 2013, Bill Donahue of the Catholic League for Religious and Civil Rights said that the video was a mess, and he called Bowie a... Switch hitting bisexual senior citizen from London. Excuse me, Mitch? Um what? and I, I guess it was because um in that music video there were priests, they were surrounded by naked women and severed eyeballs. But you know, whatever. After all of this nonsense, Bowie decided that he just wasn't gonna do any more interviews. Fuck sure. that guy.
1: Switch hitting is a plus.
0: Be- being wait what?
1: Like you called him a switch hitter, which is like a strength. Uh, it's, uh, what makes me most Look, mad about that cut down is that they called him a senior citizen.
0: I know. How fucking rude. A switch hitting bisexual up. senior citizen from London. Okay. And who are you? Yeah.
2: <laughs> mm. At this time, too, Bowie teamed back up with Arcade Fire to work on their fourth studio album, Reflector. So member of Arcade Fire Richard Reed told NME, which is a music website, that Bowie would hear the songs they were working on. And in order to like kind of light a fire under their ass, Bowie would say things like, If you don't hurry up and mix this song, I'm just gonna have to steal it from you. <laughs> Which for one, that would be an honor, sir. <laughs> yeah. But they ended up compromising and actually got him sing uh, got him to sing on the track with
0: them. That's so cool. Yeah. In mid-2014, some medical trouble started popping up. Bowie was quietly diagnosed with liver cancer. He didn't have he didn't like issue any statements on it. He just, you know, said that he would be releasing a new compilation album he continued working on songs for a spongebob broadway musical i didn't believe you so i had
2: to look it up it is a thing so according to the masterworks broadway website spongebob squarepants is a one-of-a-kind broadway musical with original songs written by a slew of stars it's a long list bear with me yolanda adams Steven tyler and joe perry of aerosmith oh. sarah Bareilles, jonathan colton Alex Ebert of Edward Sharp and the Magnetic Zeros, The Flaming Lips, Lady Antebellum, which I don't think they're called that now. Excuse me. Lady A. C- <laughs> Cindy Lauper, John Legend, Panic at the Disco, The Plain White T's, They Might Be Giants, T.I. and songs by David Bowie, wow. Tom Kenny, and he's the voice of Spongebob, and Andy Paley with additional lyrics by Jonathan Colton and additional music by Tom <laughs> Kitt. I think it's wow. hysterical that all of these... These artists were able. It's oh, I mean, first of all, SpongeBob is not a kid show; <laughs> it no. is an adult show. What
1: the fuck with, was the budget for this? I, <laughs>
2: but this <laughs> is a what musical, the like yeah, on Broadway. I don't know; it's crazy. I want to see it. Is it out? It's just wild that they get
1: those. Budgets it was twenty fourteen.
2: Yeah, it already happened. Three hundred people can fit in that
1: theater already. at a time. Like, yes, the tickets are you know Sign four five hundred but jeez. Okay.
0: So first there was SpongeBob. Then there was Black Star. This was David Bowie's final album. He began working on it after he got his diagnosis for liver cancer. So this one was set to be released in January of 2016. It featured a song called Lazarus. And while shooting the music video three months before his death, uh, Bowie found out that his cancer was terminal and that his treatment would be halted literally in the video. He was laying in a hospital bed saying, look up here, I'm in heaven, Mm -hmm. which is like a sad foreshadowing. Right. But we also worked on a musical called Lazarus, where he made his last public appearance on opening night, December 7th of 2015. It was almost one month exactly before his death. Backstage, he was described as looking ill and near death, though he decided that night he was going to work on a sequel. Okay. Black Star... The album came out on Bowie's 69th birthday, January 8th, 2016. Two days later, on January 10th, David Bowie was dead. He hadn't told anyone except his innermost circle, and the news came as a shock to the whole world. Um, that he even had cancer. Even the people he told didn't expect it to be that bad. You know, they considered the amount of work uh, that he still was planning on doing and the drive that he still had. Mm -hmm. People say that he knew he was going to die and, um, You know, that was like scarily accurate, giving the album to his fans as a parting gift. Much of the lyrical content revolves around death and a man grappling with his own mortality, as CNN said. The album debuted at number one on the UK albums chart. Uh, Releases continued to roll out in the year after his death. David Bowie finally got his he got his final Grammys one whole year. After his death, he won all five of his nominations for best rock performance, best alternative music album, best engineered album, non-classical, uh, best recording package and best rock song. So he got five Grammys after he died. Yeah. Somehow these were his first wins in actual music categories. He had gotten Grammys before, but they were for videos and, and artist categories. Oh, okay. So now we will get to the spooky stuff. How did David Bowie seem to know when he was going to die sure his diagnosis was terminal but he was still putting plans on the table for another musical and more releases according to mike garson bowie consulted a psychic in the 1970s that foretold that bowie would die at age 69.
2: yeah the anecdote was featured in garson's bio bowie's piano man the life of mike garson and he tells the story how Bowie was completely convinced that the psychic was legit. Like, most people are like, oh, psychics, they don't know anything. But Bowie right. was completely like, oh, my gosh, this they guy told, told me, me it's going to happen. Bowie told Mike that about the reading, and Bowie kind of accepted it. He planned his future based on that. But as a conspiracy theory, the internet believes that Bowie predicted the rise of Kanye West. <laughs> what? <laughs> 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 okay. at this time so on the front of bowie's 1972 album the rise of and fall of ziggy stardust and the spiders from mars the cover shows bowie standing under a sign that says k west the opening track of the album five years is about the end of the world happening unless a mythical starman descends to earth to save us all kanye west was born five years after that album was released and Kanye West, um, you know, they, everyone says he's the next God. I don't know why they say that. <laughs> uh, but K. West was just apparently a London tailor at the time the picture was taken for the album cover. So the internet, like, ha-ha, haha internet. Weird.
1: Kanye, <laughs> no offense. No, not David Bowie. No. Not How is that a pre
2: Like, you don't even have the same musical content. Like, it just... It's not comparable
0: david bowie's album black star it had haunting morbid imagery it it was released on his 69th birthday garson said that because of this bowie was very intentional with everything that he did in his life that he he was certain that this prediction from the psychic was going to come true i mean and and this guy mike garson was one of his bandmates so he was with him from the beginning and was right. like, yeah, yeah, yeah. He knew he was going to die at 69. Like he knew this shit was going to happen. I think it's mm. kind of like beautiful in a
2: way because he wasn't somebody that was going to let it stop him. Where a lot of people, they find out that exact point in time they're going to die. Or they think, you know, if they go to a psychic mm-hmm. and it's like, oh, well, you have five years to live. And they're like, oh, my gosh. And they just try to do everything to avoid that. Sure. From to happening. It, yeah. It's but like he was he just like, well, you know it. what? If I have this time, this is what I'm going to do with it. Yeah,
0: I want to make a musical. I want right. to be in 130 movies. I want to like yeah, release it's... 24 albums or whatever.
1: The beauty of the cool. album for me is because it doesn't matter what what age you are. Dying is inevitable. Right. So it's kind of like a new age like very modern way of looking at death that's like super impactful in that record, you know, he talks about like all of these really 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 rad conceptual outlooks on everything yeah. yeah and then the whole time there was a couple insiders like you mentioned that might have known that he was dying and the lyrics and stuff were just just symbolic enough to be right. like oh yeah he's old you know he's probably thinking about death but after he died people started dissecting it and now mm-hmm. like there's all of these obvious signs that he completely knew that he was dying that he was like doing this for himself and his fans As one last hurrah. Now we have that. And it's so fucking cool. It
2: adds a layer of kind of discomfort too. Because you know the other end of the spectrum. Like you know he's gone.
1: But knowing that it's planned. Makes it so weird. And and so interesting. Because who has an opportunity to do that in their life?
0: It is interesting. I think. I mean Drew's been talking about conspiracy theories surrounding this album um since it came
1: out. There's not a whole lot of conspiracy theories behind it as far as like any any crazy things like that. It was just the fact that he knew and he wasn't sharing with with the people that were involved with the record what actually was going down and how impactful this was going, going to be i think if he would have died before the record was released it wouldn't have mattered it was still going to be released on his ni- uh, 69th birthday right that was like the 69
0: plan. was like when he was supposed to die yeah i was gonna say imagine helping work
2: on that record and then realizing in the final product what it was and what it meant and then you were a part of that that's
1: mm-hmm. crazy right. it takes a lot of freaking energy to make a record yeah. i can only imagine like a solo record takes a fuck ton of energy you got to find the musicians mm-hmm. and you have to work with the producer that's a lot of a lot of time and energy so it was like by all means his last his last throwdown.
0: yeah i mean it's it's very interesting And 2016 was a weird year was a weird year because that's we lost david bowie unexpectedly to everybody else that was also the year that prince died too unexpectedly Mm -hmm. two huge musicians who were alive at the same time both kind of doing similar things they They intersected
2: a lot yeah they i
0: mean they're both very similar as human beings as far as covering so many different genres i was just astounded reading about both of them and and how they each went through everything they both had the androgyny thing going on in a time when it was not as accepted in mainstream culture as Mm -hmm. it is now i mean they both broke a lot of ground for people and they did a lot of shit and (laughs) just they both died the same year so we're happy to cover them both on this season of death by music podcast yeah so um that's david bowie Wow, that was long. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Probably Prince so far has been the longest episode we've ever done. This one's probably going to be longer. Well, thank you guys for tuning in with us. Yes. Make sure that you follow us on social media and all the normal stuff that we're supposed to say. I would like to promote our mini episodes that we're doing. They come out on Mondays. So make sure that you check back on Monday for the most recent Death by Music mini episode. And uh, we'll talk for maybe like, 20-30 minutes about other weird shit that doesn't necessarily have to do with death, but you know interesting stories within the music industry so if you have any suggestions for that of course, let us know. We did put something up recently asking for your opinions on who we should cover for um, our further seasons and we've been putting a lot of thought into it. We already have some ideas but we want to kind of see where you guys are at and what you want to hear about. So let us know and
2: Rest
1: in peace. Bye. This is my
0: Music by Demons. At Demons Band on Instagram. Graphic arts by Mike Johnson. Writing by Alex Motler and Cassie Gardner. With assistance from Drew Orton.